As I said before worship, we're going to do something just a little bit different. And we, we today is Mother's Day. And mothers play such a vital role in raising children. Mothers sacrifice everything. And I want to begin this morning by praying for a specific mother and her child. But I want to thank all mothers for their sacrifice. And and we are going to have a, a little bit more of a presentation and a talk about Mother's Day after after the the message, um, because that's not completely what God gave me to speak on this morning, even though it is Mother's Day. Although mothers bring about what we are going to talk about today, and that's unity. But before we get into that, I want to tell you about two mothers that are perhaps watching us on Periscope, um, and need our prayer. Stephanie is one, and, and most of you, or many of you know Stephanie. She's part of our church here, but she has been battling cancer. She's in, in uh, the hospital right now, and so I want to take a moment and pray for her. In fact, let's pray for her before I tell you about the other one. Father, we pray for Stephanie right now. Lord, we pray a perfect healing over her as she cannot be with us this morning because she's in the hospital. Lord, she's our family. We love her. And we pray for her. We pray for a perfect healing. I pray that the enemy be bound to not even have access to her in Jesus' name. And Lord, we pray that you bring her back to us quickly. In Jesus' name. This other one, uh, many of you know the name. Um, some of you may have met this family. We've known them for probably about 12 or 13 years, something like that. But uh, you've heard the name Carson. I've probably mentioned Carson. Certainly on Tuesday nights, we pray, pray for him often. Or sometimes I'll put something on Facebook about him. Well, Carson is now 17 years old. And he got sick five years ago. Perfectly healthy young man got sick, sick to the point of death. And has been off and on in the hospital. We've been praying for him for a long time. And the reason I bring this up here on a Sunday morning is because it's gotten critically worse. I got an email, or a text from Bryn, who is his mother, last I want to say it was Monday, maybe Monday night or, or into Tuesday morning. Um, she texted me late at night that they, he, he had gotten really, really bad and that they were going to have to go to the hospital. This is, this is some, it's, it's the nearest, the doctors can say that it's like his Crohn's disease. It, it's, it's a disease of the digestive tract. In other words, he cannot absorb nutrients. Uh, he, he can't eat like you and I and absorb those nutrients and, and, and be able to nourish his body. And, and so it, it got really bad, and when it gets really bad, they have to take him to the hospital so, so that he can be given you know, fluids 
and, and otherwise he, he would die. So they took him in. And the thing is, for months, all throughout the fall, he had been getting better. And, and the thing that, that's, that's difficult about this, especially for us, we've been praying for this, and, and there, there are several people in this ministry as well as other ministries that I know of that the Holy Spirit has told them that, that he would be healed. The Holy Spirit has told me that Carson will be healed. And that actually is where the biggest struggle lies because I, I don't understand why it's getting worse. It was getting better for a while. But the one thing I do know is that as the body of Christ, we unify as the body of Christ, and we go to war for our family. We go to war. You may not know Carson. You may not know his family, his mother, Bryn. Today's Mother's Day, and she is in the hospital with him. The, the family is with him in the hospital. You know, this is, as a, as a mother, you can understand how this would break your heart. I went and saw Carson, I, I think it was Wednesday, or th no, I went on Thursday. I went up and spent a couple hours up in the, he's at Children's Hospital in, in uh, Philadelphia, in downtown Philly. And the thing that is the most amazing about this young man is you would never know by talking to him that he is as sick as he is. Because he doesn't let the enemy get him down. He, he knows that the Lord is going to heal him. He knows the calling that, that God has placed on his life. And, and in talking with him, uh, apart from from what you could see physically and, and the fact that he's in, in a hospital bed and he's got all these you know, tubes hooked up to him and everything else, you would not know from what he says that he is as sick as he is. But she texted me this morning, just before I came up here, and this is why we're, we're doing this this morning, because she said it got worse. And I, I can't imagine that it got worse than what I saw on Thursday. But it got worse. I don't know why, I don't know the reason for that, but I do know our response. Our response is the body of Christ. He is our brother. She is our sister. Their family is our family. And so we go to war for them. And the reason I want to do this here, one, we're going to pray for Carson right now. But even more importantly than that, I want you to take his name and Bryn's name and their family's name home with you. And I want you to stay in that battle for this family because they need us. This is how the unity of the body comes together. It's because we love each other. It's because we care about each other and what each other is going through. So let's pray right now, and then I trust that, that you'll take this story home with you and take his name home with you. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you because you are almighty God. There is nothing outside of the realm of your grasp. There is nothing outside of the realm of your will. But God, I also know that you call us to come together as your bride, 
as your body, the church, the body of Jesus Christ. You call us to come together in unity for each other. Each of us are different members of the same body. Each carrying a very specific reason for being part of the body. A specific function. But that body comes together as one to do your will. Father, that's what we're doing this morning. We pray for Carson this morning. As we got the news that he has gotten worse, he is in a lot of pain, Lord. Even on the pain medication, it's not working this time. The treatments that he's had before are not working this time. Now, Lord, I believe and I know that you have reason for that. Because I know in my heart what you have said, that you are going to heal him fully. And what I believe in this, Father, is that you have to do it in such a way that no man can get glory. That no doctor can claim they used the right drug. They used the right procedure. Father, we claim in faith what you are doing in Carson's life and in his family's life. God, it's been five years. We pray for your glory to surround him right now. In the spirit realm, Father, surround him right now in his bed. I don't know if he is watching this on Periscope or not. But Father, reach through there. Surround him right now with your warrior angels. I pray that you establish a stronghold for you in the center of who he is. I have talked with him over and over again, Lord, and it is clearly obvious how much he loves you. And how much he knows that you are fully in control of his life. And he has yielded that to you. And Lord, I know that you want to prove your greatness through this situation. So we ask, Father, for a perfect healing. Not just a getting better. Not just a managing. But God, for a perfect, created, new, digestive tract. It becomes created brand new. We pray for this, Father. We beg for this. And we ask this by faith. Knowing full well that you can accomplish it. Believing full well that you will accomplish it. And that your name will be glorified. I say this out in the air and out in the airwaves and and on this tape for those online. I say this out loud because it's going to be a testament to what you're doing. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your perfect timing in what you do. 
But God, you have given me a vision of him being with me in Nigeria. A lot has to happen between now and then. I pray, Lord, that this morning you begin. According to your perfect will, God. Our job is just to ask you and to believe. So that's what we're doing this morning. We ask you for his healing. We beg you for his healing. And the healing of his family, Father, that has lost so much through this process. But then, God, we believe. We trust. We have faith knowing full well that you are beyond capable to do great things for Carson. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. This morning, as I said, we're going to be talking about unity. And I, I, it's interesting because, you know, God doesn't always give me what he wants me to talk about in advance. As I've shared with you many times, it, it's, it, oftentimes it isn't until the night before. This one was different. I think I announced last week. I knew what I was going to preach on this week. And, and this, this idea of unity is what he laid on my heart. But I think this is probably going to go into two weeks because, because there's a couple facets of this that I want to talk about. And, and the first one, <clears throat> what I want to begin to lay out for you is where I see us in this point in time, okay? This, to me, is one of the exciting things about the Word of God. How we can study the Word of God, we can get glimpses into what God is doing. We don't have to walk through this life wondering, what in the world is He doing? Okay, we can open up the Word, and we can begin to apply, pray, and let Him show us. He promises to. It's, it's not something we even have to hope that he does. He promises to. That's one of the, the main directives of the Holy Spirit. If we ask for the Holy Spirit to reveal Scripture to us, he does. God promises that he will. So, so you know... We, we look at where we're at in this world, and, and I have to tell you a little bit about my history. You know, I, I grew up and studying the Word of God since I was about 20, 22, 23 years old, really beginning to dig into it. I remember first time I taught on Revelation, I was in my later 20s, and of course thought I knew everything. That was, if, if I could go, I wish I had taped it. Because it would just be interesting to listen to those tapes, you know, some 25 years ago. But you, you begin to build this thought process of what you think God's doing. And then you, you apply that to what you see going on in the world, right? You know, because with ISIS raising up and, and, you know, back years ago with 9-11 and with, with all this stuff happening, we begin to apply it to what we know in the Word of God, right? Well, I developed a very negative outlook toward what, what God was doing. And, and I thought that was, that was correct. And, and what I mean by that, 
is I know, and we're going to go through some scripture on this, but there is a time coming for this world that is judgment upon the world. It's judgment on the world for Israel. Okay, we know that. It's not happened yet. It's called the 70th week of Daniel. It's called the tribulation, or, or in reality, it's, it's uh, the second half of the tribulation, which is the great tribulation. We think of the Antichrist. We think of all these things and the judgment that's coming upon the earth, right? And the, the Bible talks about that. that there is more said about this time in history and what is coming. There's more said in the word of God than anything else. Even the gospel. So God felt it important enough for us to understand the times in which we live. Now, even more so as that time becomes closer. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit this morning because this isn't just about it's cool that I know. And it's cool that we know. Now we know what you're doing, God. This is cool. I, I feel good about it. It's awesome. You let me in on a little secret, and that, that's really cool. It's not about that. It's about the fact that we have a purpose in it. We have a calling in it. We have a reason to be engaged in it at whatever age we are. doesn't matter. We're entering a time in history that is unique. And it, it's exciting. And that's the perspective that I want to share with you. Uh, again, I, I was, um, we, we know that there's going to be tribulation and all that, and, and I am a person that believes in the rapture being pre-tribulation. Okay? I am a pre-trib believer. Okay? Um, and, and if you want to sit down and go through that, let me know. We'll, we'll have lunch. We'll sit down and talk about it. But I believe the church, I think if you look in Revelation 4, it's clear the church will not be in the, in the tribulation. Okay, But the church has something going on before that point. Because we're still here now, right? We're the body of Christ. We're, as the Bible talks about, we're the bride of Christ. Well, in, in all my study and everything else, I, I used to think that it is going to get so bad, so bad, that Jesus Christ is finally going to say, all right, I'm done with this. I'm going to go get my bride. Because <laughs> it's so bad, he needs to come and get us. See, that, that's the thought process I had. And, and by the way, I, I, I'm not condemning that thought process at all. That's what I had for years. That's what I read into the scriptures for years. But then recently, over the last few months, God has been laying on my heart and revealing in scripture as I'm praying to him, Lord, show me the truth. Show me the reason for your church in these days. Is it just to absorb what's happening to us? Is it to just receive the persecution and just be okay with it? You know, God has risen us up as warriors. I, I was raised as a warrior, so I have a problem with that. I have a problem with laying down and letting the enemy just trample over me. I don't know why. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe 
To, to some people, that's what Christianity is. It's just absorbing what the enemy is dishing to us. And, and that was my thought process. God, it's just going to finally get so bad to where you call us up and we meet you in the clouds. But he began to open my eyes. And in such a way that it flip-flopped how I felt about that. That not only do we have a day coming that is better for the body of Christ, but we have the greatest days coming for the body of Christ. Now this all begins with something, though. And we're going to get into this in the Word of God. Begins with revival. Begins with unity. It begins with the church coming together as one. And not just our church. Not just our body. But the entire body of Christ. Look at, look at how the body of Christ is right now. We're very divided. You know, we can sometimes play nice with certain ones. <laughs> but overall, we're a very dysfunctional family. Overall. We do well in our pockets. We can have healthy pockets of the church, you know, the body of Christ. But overall, we're, we're very dysfunctional. Revival is required for the unity that is required for the body of Christ. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And the first, first three chapters, really chapters 2 and 3, uh, deal with the seven churches, letters to the seven churches, Right? Okay, these are letters to the, to the body of Christ. This isn't Old Testament Israel. This is the body of Christ, these letters. And in these letters, we won't go through all the letters, of course, but in, in these letters, it, it's letters to different specific churches, but also different types of churches. You know, in these letters, God gives a commendation, and then... In some, he gives a declaration of perhaps something they're doing wrong. Then he gives a challenge. Okay? In this one in particular, the Church of Philadelphia, everybody wants to think they're part of the Church of Philadelphia. Because this is one of the two, I believe, where he doesn't give a, anything that's wrong with them. <laughs> so we're the Church of Philadelphia. right? Okay. And what he's talking about here, again, this is a different sermon what, what, what he's talking about, about the Church of Philadelphia, that's not so much why I want to read through this. But what he does is he gives an indicator to the body of Christ as to what he's going to do with that body. Let's, let's read here. Let's go, uh, we'll, we'll just read the whole thing. Verse, we'll start at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. Which, by the way, I want to mention to you here, this was, these letters to the seven churches, this was given to Jesus Christ. 
who then gave them to us. Gave them to John, who in turn gave them to us. So this is from the Father, given to the Son, after the Son rose from the grave. Once the Son was at his right hand, he gave this to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ then gives this to John, and that's how we're reading it. Verse 8. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those... And by the way, let me explain verse 8. Where it says, Behold, I have set before you an open door. No one can shut it. I know you have but little power. That's a small phrase, but an important phrase. It's talking about power on this earth. It's talking about this, this physical evidence of being able to force feed a thought. It's talking about influence. It's talking about the ability to create change. He says, I, I know you have but little power in this world that I have you in. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Talking to the body of Christ. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. And behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwelt on the earth. And we'll stop there. You know, he goes on to say, hold fast, so you continue to hold on to the crown that you've already been given. But there are two significant things that we just read that as the body of Christ, it's important that we understand. One, the second one I'm going to mention first, is in verse 10. He said, because you've kept the word about patient endurance, kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. This trial is what he begins to open up and reveal in chapter 4, going through the end of Revelation. There is a trial coming on this earth that is trying the earth for how they have treated Israel. Okay? It's trying the earth for, thou, for how they have forsaken Jesus Christ as Messiah. This trial, God says, and, and if you read ahead, you read into Revelation, you see it's, it's not going to be a fun time. It's a difficult time. It is a global judgment. That's not happened yet. You look throughout history, that's never happened yet. But it's coming. And God said, because of your faithfulness as the body of Christ, because of your patient endurance, it says in verse 10, I'm going to keep you out of that. I'm going to take you out before that judgment. 
So see, that's important to understand as the body of Christ. There's a time coming of great judgment that we're not a part of as the body of Christ. If we've accepted Jesus Christ into our heart as Savior, we will not see that judgment. But there's a second thing here I want to point out before we go to the next to the next reference. Verse 9. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who said that they are Jews and are not, but lie. In other words, he's talking about those who say that they believe in God, who say that they follow God, who say, who say that they're righteous, but yet they're the synagogue of Satan. They are deceptors. They do not know the true God. They do not have Jesus Christ as the Messiah in their heart. So what's he saying as this second promise? This is huge to me because I never got this before. In over 25 years of study, never understood that. But what's he say here? Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. See, that verse is before verse 10. Because we know in the thousand year reign of Christ, they'll bow down to him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But see, that's different. That's bowing down to Jesus Christ. That's different. That's not what he says here. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I will take these liars, I will take these, this synagogue of Satan, and they will bow down to your leadership. They will bow down to what I am doing through my body, through Jesus, the body of Jesus Christ. They will bow down to his leadership. says here, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. So there's a couple things going on there. Jesus is going to reveal to them, one, who he is, and two, that he loves his bride. How's he going to do that? Jesus is going to display his love for his church. And by the way, not just a church, not just Ignition Church. We're talking about the entire body of Christ, worldwide global body of Christ. He is going to show the enemy, right, that he loves us, that he is for us. So those two things are huge to take out of this chapter. Those two things. One, that we will not be here in that judgment time. And two, that before we are taken away, the enemy will be shown that Jesus Christ loves us to the point where that enemy will come and be in submission to us. Wow. I don't know about you. That, that just blew so many things that I thought as I used to study the Bible about his authority, about his power. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
Normally I do this ahead of time because I shake so bad. Hopefully I'll get it. <laughs> so funny. Uh, one day, hopefully I'll stop shaking. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and we're going down to verse 13. And we're going to read 13 to 17. Okay, this is, this is now referring to that moment where we're taken away before this judgment. Okay, this is the coming of the Lord. And I, I, I don't want you to confuse this with what comes after this, the day of the Lord. And I'll explain that in a second. Okay, verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or those who have already died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep or have already passed away. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or passed away. Verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. See, this is different than the day of the Lord. As you start to study scripture, you, you see about the coming of God and the day of the Lord and the day of vengeance and, and all of that. That is all at the end of the tribulation period that we're talking about. That's when Jesus Christ comes all the way to this earth. He comes in victory. He comes to establish his earthly kingdom. What will happen in the day of the Lord, what will happen in his second coming, is what the Jews were expecting the first time. When he comes, you, you remember the triumphal entry, one week before they crucified Jesus. He's going into Jerusalem, they're laying palm branches down, Hosanna, our king, everything's good, right? That's because they thought what he was coming to do was establish his earthly kingdom. You can imagine their excitement in that because they were under Roman rule. They were in slavery to Rome. So they were excited about him coming to, to establish his earthly kingdom. Well, when they realized that's not what was happening, then they turned on him, didn't believe he was the Messiah. What they didn't realize is that the Spirit always goes before the physical. The Spirit, what happens in the Spirit realm, always happens before the physical realm. That's important to understand even in your own prayer time. What you war for in the Spirit has to be won before it can be won here on this earth. What we prayed for for Carson... Going to war in the spirit realm, that spirit warfare has to be fought and has to be won before it's won in the earthly realm. So that had to happen when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. 
What happened? Victory was swallowed up in his death. Victory was, was made in his resurrection. We have victory because of his death. We have victory because he came and established his kingdom first before he established his kingdom on earth. But don't be confused because he is going to establish his kingdom on earth. That comes after. That's when he physically will come to this earth, all the way to this earth. Don't confuse that with the rapture. The rapture, it says right here, we just read it, we'll go to meet him in the clouds. We will meet him, he will take his bride and take the bride off the earth, take the church off of the earth. So, so don't confuse what it goes into in chapter 5 is, is the day of the Lord, and that's going into a little bit different thing. But it's, it's important to understand what God is saying here. You know, the, the Thessalonians were worried that all those who had already passed away, see, they thought God was coming right away. And, and what they displayed was a very typical reaction in the body of Christ. I have done it a million times. God says something, so I'm expecting it tomorrow. God, wait a second. You said you were going to do this, and it's already been 10 hours. You know, what's going on? We expect things to happen right away. So these people, they expected Christ to come back right away, and now all of a sudden Christians... Some of them have died. And they were so worried that, well, they, they've died and Christ, Christ hasn't come back yet. What, what happens to them? And, and they, were, they were saying to Paul what they were worried about. And Paul was saying, don't worry. Don't worry. They're going to rise first. They're going, they'll be there with us. In fact, they'll be with Christ before you will. Now, I, I don't know the difference because it happens in the twinkling of an eye. But apparently they're going to be faster than those who are still alive. Okay, there's a couple that I won't, I won't get derailed there. But because there, there's, there's a few things there that are very interesting. But bottom line is what he's saying is we won't be here. He's going to come and he's going to take his church up. Now, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 11. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm just a shake too much. And see, this would probably be the better thing for me to use a physical Bible, but. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 11. And you're, you're familiar with this, and we're going to deal with this in a lot more detail um, next week. But I, I want to establish this idea that Jesus Christ is coming to take his church home. But, but there are very specific things that are going to happen before he does. Let's, let's start in uh, verse, let's see, verse 11. And he gave the, Paul's talking about here what, what Jesus is giving the church to equip the church. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, 
the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. By the way, that's where we get the fivefold ministry. In those, in those um, uh, positions, you know, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, we have five areas of ministry that then go in to feed the entire body of Christ. Okay, that's what he said, to equip, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Why? For the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13, again, many people stop there. And this is what began to hit me in the last few months, because if you read on, God gives a declaration of what he's doing, but then he puts a time stamp on it. And this is important to understand because it's easy to read over. Verse 13. What's that next word? Until. Until. So what he's saying here is, is Jesus Christ is giving these, these capabilities or these talents or, or the, these, these needs that the church has. He gives them these to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ until, until. So there is an ending time that he does this. Until what? Until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is, with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what he's saying here is, look, I have left you, this is Jesus, I have left you, I'm sitting at the right hand of my Father, I have sent you a comforter who gives gifts. This comforter equips you to be able to work together to bring unity. Not just unity to a local body, but unity to the entire body of Christ. He's equipped us for that. And he will continue to equip us for that when? Until we attain it. Until we attain unity. I would venture to say from... from the time that I began reading Acts and studying church history from, from the church of Acts all the way until now, there have been very few times where there were large pockets of unity. In fact, since the beginning, what I have found from about A.D. 300 on, there was very little unity overall. There were pockets of division that happened early on that have kept us divided ever since. 
Now, we're divided in certain doctrines, and I get that. I understand that. I would love to know. I would love to be a fly on the wall. Jesus talking to God about this issue. You know, because we all think, because we feel our doctrine is correct, we all think that Jesus is up there and he is, he's worried about the other people that just aren't getting it right. But you know what's sad? Is we divide ourselves from those people. See, the Bible only talks about one division. The Bible talks about a division of a son or daughter versus not a son or daughter. That's the only division. He talks about those who accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. They become part of the body of Christ. They become sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It doesn't matter if they believe in cessationism. It doesn't matter if, like me, for 40 years I believed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were, were back then. They don't apply to today. See, God doesn't look at it that way. God looks at it like, this person has accepted me into his heart. Or her heart. They're part of my body. Period. I'll work on the rest. And he does. He begins to work on us. If we're open to him, he begins to work on us. After 40 years of being a cessationist and and not believing that the gifts of the Spirit were for today, God changed my heart. By the way, I... I don't know if I'm unique or not, but he did not change my heart because I was part of a church that believed that way, or we went to a different church, or even that I had had influence in that way. God changed my heart through his word. He began to show me as I prayed for intimacy with him. He began to show me that there was something more that I was missing He began to let me know that there was an intimacy and communication that was available to me that I had no clue of. I didn't understand. Now, why did he do this? Did he do this so then we could start this church and have this cool club and now we have our set of beliefs and, you know, we put them on the Internet, so here's what we believe and, you know, decide if you want to come here or not. Is that what he did? He wants us just to develop this faction of his body? No. See, although I'm no longer a cessationist, they're still my brothers and sisters. Although I may not believe in something that another church may believe in, they're still, if they've accepted Jesus Christ, they're still my brother and my sister. So why is he doing this work in my heart that we could build this? No. He's doing this work in my heart. He's doing this work in your heart to open yourself up to the scriptures so he can unify the body. See, the the bride cannot be gotten until the bride is ready. Read the Song of Songs. 
Or some people call it the Song of Solomon. Most, most people treat that like it is a picture of marriage, and it is. But there's a whole different level to that book. That when you start to look at that book from the eyes of Jesus Christ to his bride, it will open your eyes as to what he's doing in the body of Christ. See, Jesus Christ is not going to come get his bride because things are just so bad, I have to save her. That's not what that book talks about at all. Jesus Christ will come and get his bride when that bride is ready. And see, what we just read here was there's a time stamp on that. There's a condition on that. And the condition is unity. Why would he want to come get a bride that fights all the time? I wouldn't. I mean, think about that. Why is he doing a work in us in the first place? It's for unity. If it wasn't for that, then the second we accepted Jesus Christ into our heart, he could have just taken us up right then. If it was just to individually be with him, individually develop a relationship with him, then he could have taken us right away. The second we understood and accepted him as Savior. But he didn't do that. Why? Because the bride has to learn to function with each other. Your 1 Corinthians 12 said that we're many members and we all have different functions. So you have to learn how to work within the body of Christ with the function that you're given, with the gifts that you're given. But it doesn't say that only certain people need to function in the body. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians 12, it says everyone has a place. Everyone is to be used in that function. I don't know about you, but for that to happen, there's got to be unity. Now, what amazes me here is we always talk about unity on the church level. We want unity within our church. But it's time for America, because we are to be leaders in this, but really for the world. It is time for us to understand that that unity, if it is just localized, that's not unity at all. Unity is unity within the body of Christ. That means that we are to be unified with our brothers and sisters over in Nigeria. We're to be unified with the church right down the road that may not believe the same way we believe. Ouch. That one hurts. That one hurts a little bit because... That's in your face all the time. That one's tough. I came from that. And that's hard. But that's why he gives us gifts. That's why he equips us for the very unity that he expects us to go after. It's not, it's not just something we do on our own. We don't have to. He, he said, I give you the gifts you need to what? 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body. Not the building up of Ignition Church, but the building up of the body of Christ. Now in the States, and, and really it's everywhere I've been so far, it's this way in Mexico, and not as bad, but it's the same way in Nigeria. The body of Christ is competitive. The body of Christ is more concerned with their local unity than they are the unity of the body. But see, Jesus Christ is not going to come until we attain that unity. So I think we have come to a time in history that is perhaps one of the greatest times in all of history, perhaps since creation. What we get to experience right now coming up is huge. What brings on the coming of our Lord to take his bride home is unity, but that unity through revival. See, and it's happening. I don't know if you pay attention at all to, to churches throughout the United States, to churches all over the world, but revival is at our doorstep. Revival's coming right here. To admission has to be because we have opened our arms and said Lord we, we're here for it whatever you want we don't set our own agenda we let you set it for us Lord so revival is coming here but I want to encourage you that revival is coming to the globe Revival is coming to the entire body of Christ. It has to. Why? Because he said so. It has to come before he comes and gets his bride. And we also know that the timing of the end is near. And I'm not going to go derail on that, down that course either. If you want to have coffee sometime, we'll sit down and talk about it. But the end is very near. We are within that generation that will see the Lord. So we have a huge responsibility. We have a huge responsibility to begin looking outside of our own walls. Not just looking evangelistically at those who don't know Christ, which is critical. I'm not diminishing that at all. But we have to look outside our walls to those who love Jesus Christ, but are separated in the body of Christ. Somebody has to reach out. This was one of the first things the Lord laid on my heart almost five years ago, before I ever, I mean, had no clue we'd have a church. I didn't even know at that point that, that it was really going to be a college ministry, which is how it started out. I just remember Lord laying on my heart that somehow the churches have got to come together. 
Because all we do is fight each other. <coughs> all we do is worry about, well, you believe this and I believe this, and I'm, I'm not going to subject my people you know, to that doctrine that you believe because they might get all screwed up, and then I've got to deal with the problem. That, that, that's, that's such a myopic way to look at it. See, that's not what God says. God says, love the body. And by the way, God doesn't tell us that we have to instill all these doctrines in people. That's his job. Why are we taking the job of the Holy Spirit? It's not my job to teach you that cessationism is wrong and believing in the gifts of the Spirit is right. Okay, I can teach you what God has done in my life according to one thing. One purpose only. That's intimacy with Jesus Christ. Everything that we're to teach, everything that we're to share, everything that we're to reach out across the aisles has to be about that intimacy with Jesus Christ. And when we get that one thing right, that's it. It's all we got to get. One thing right. Teach about intimacy with Jesus Christ. That then opens the door that Revelation 3 said will never be shut. Why? Because Jesus Christ opens it. And he holds it open. And he says, you teach me, you teach intimacy with me. I will send my spirit to do the rest. My spirit will show that person what's right, what's wrong. Will reveal doctrine. They, they got to seek me. But see, that's what he did in me. There was no man or woman that told me that, that what I believed wasn't correct. It was the word of God. It was me asking him for a closer walk with him, more intimacy with him. And he said, okay, you sure about that? Okay, here we go. I'm going to take you on the ride of your life. And that's what he's done. He's, he's made his word come alive to me. And, and by the way, not even for the purpose of teaching it. Because honestly, I'm not really a teacher. Never liked teachers. <laughs> Sorry, I know we have teachers. I liked my coaches. But I, I, I'm not a teacher. It wasn't for the purpose of teaching you. The only way I'm supposed to teach you is with my life. The only way you're to teach is with your life. So that's what he's doing in my life. And what he began five years ago in seeing the problems with, with this disunified body of Christ, even from a local aspect. I, I know so many pastors here. And when we were called away from the church we were a part of, I met with many, many pastors. Because my, that my idea was... Hey, let, let's, let's just start meeting up. Let's start talking. Let's, let's start getting together. When I started the college ministry, it was all about that. It wasn't about the college ministry within our church. It was, it was about the college ministry. In fact, we didn't even have it in our church. 
That became one of the problems. I knew it needed to be off campus because I knew because of the competitive nature of our churches, if this was a ministry growing up in a specific church, nobody else is going to come. You're just building your church. See, there's a problem with that. And, and I'm all for churches growing. But i got to tell you, know this from my heart. Know this from the bottom of my heart. If we never get bigger than we are right now, but yet through our efforts we can add to the churches around here and add to the body of Christ, I will take that any day of the week. Because, see, my job is not to grow this church. My job is to help unify the body of Christ. Now, by the way, that's not just my job. That's your job. God will give to our churches. God wants to give to our church. But we need to begin looking at ourselves so much bigger than this church. We're part of the body of Christ. And there are so many in the body that don't understand that our groom is not going to come until we're unified. And the problem with that is we're going to be we're going to become unified. And and again, I don't want to go down this rabbit trail. This is this is an amazing study, but but there's going to be something that happens over the next few years that's going to be very interesting in the body of Christ. He is going to move in revival. He already is beginning. He is going to move in revival, and you're going to have people that are part of the body of Christ that will reject that. That will say, no, because of doctrine, or because of this, or because of that, I will not be a part of it. I don't even believe that's revival. You have to understand, God loves them. They will always be part of the body. But they will be set aside. They will not be used. He will use those who act according to his will. He will use those who their intent is to unify the body of Christ, to prepare for the coming of the groom, to prepare for the coming of God. So in your heart... Begin to think outside of just who we are. See, that's why God called us to Nigeria. That's why he called us, even though it doesn't make sense. That's why he called us there at the same time that we're building Newark. Why? Because we're, we're not building anything. We're not building a church. We're pouring into the body of Christ. And whatever influence he gives us under whatever walls he gives us, we're just here to pour. That's all. So he has us doing this in Nigeria as well as here. But you know what? It's not just those two places. See, the Holy Spirit has called us to seven places in the world. And I've shared this before. First time that the Holy Spirit ever spoke to me, that was one of the things he said. There are seven places in this world that ignition is to go. That's not an accident, folks. 
That's not an accident. We're not, we're not supposed to go to seven places in the world to build up ignition. And ignition is going to be something special. No. It's to build up the body. It's build up the body of Christ. In fact, when we go to Nigeria, it's not even to plant churches right where we are in McCurdy. There are plenty of churches. There are lots of churches. And, that, and it, I'm sure they're watching, some of them right, watching right now or listening online. It's what I told them when I was there. We're not there to plant churches where there are already churches. Where the body of Christ is already in existence. We're there to pour into them. We're there to bring unity to them. That's why one of the greatest things that happened in Nigeria to me was that we got to speak to over 250 pastors of different denominations. That's huge. That's huge. I mean, how... How often do you get that here? I'd love for you to name me one here. Because the seminars and the big seminars here where there's pastor's conference, it's usually, well, this denominational pastor's conference. How many of you, if you were a pastor, would go to a conference with a Catholic? Ooh, I just said something rough, didn't I? Wow, but you know what? If they've accepted Jesus Christ into their hearts, they're a brother and they're a sister. And I'm not saying this is an easy thing to decide to do. Because I'm, I'm pretty dogmatic on my beliefs. I know what I believe. I know what the Word of God says. I'm pretty staunch in that. But I also know that He told me to unify. Not pick and choose. He didn't say, unify with the ones that you can unify with. Unify with the ones that you, you understand, you have commonality. He didn't say that. He said, you need one thing in common, and that's it. That Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Beyond that, we can work on anything else. If that's all we have in common, believing that there is one way to heaven and one way only, and that is through Jesus Christ and accepting him as Savior, if that's all we ever have in common, we can work together. Because then that's what we work on. We work on reaching them. See, the people that, that I'll pour out to in learning the gifts of the Spirit, in learning that, that intimacy through God, through the speaking of the Holy Spirit, I'll, I'll do that with the people God gives me influence on. That is not a decision of, there's the parameter of me working with you. That's not what God said. God, God said the entire body is to unify so this morning, we're going to talk about this more next week, this idea of revival and, and this idea of unity, but we're, we're going to bring it more to a personal level next week. But I want you to get in your mind to begin praying this week. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for the people you know that go to other churches? What does that look like for you in the competitive arena that we seem to be in, in the body of Christ? There's no room for that. Not anymore. Because Christ is coming. He expects his bride to be unified.
And if we don't get on that train toward unification, then we won't be part of that solution. He can't bless us. He's not going to bless us in pockets. When this revival begins to spark, begins to ignite, begins to become this raging flame, there are people that are, going to, that are not going to be a part of it. They'll be saved. They'll be taken as part of the bride, but they will be a part that is not effective. He will take their part and he will put out their light. If you want to understand what I'm saying there, read, a, read the rest of the seven church letters that Jesus Christ was given. Because there is a part of the body of Christ where their lampstand will be taken away. Their effectiveness will be taken away. Why? Because it's time for unification and they're in the way. They don't lose their salvation or anything like that. But they lose their effectiveness. We're at a different time in history. That time in history is where the body comes together. See, we have great things in store. Don't be confused by even the everything you see on TV. Don't be confused by everything going on around us. How, like, how in the world are you in this, God? Don't be confused by any of that. Trust the Word of God. Trust the Word of God in what He's doing. God works in hearts. By the way, he doesn't just work in Christians' hearts. Again, I won't go into it, but read all about Cyrus in the Word of God. He, he was a king, a Persian king that ruled the world effectively, that was not, not a believer, but yet he was anointed by God because God used him for a specific purpose. Believe in what God's doing to unify his body. Because what you're going to see over the next few years, I think what you're going to see over the next year in the unification of the body is going to be extraordinary. I don't know if, if you've ever been in a place where a pocket of revival has broken out. But it, it, it's, it's beyond your ability to control, which is exactly what revival is. Because the Lord just takes over. And he's about to do that. He's about to do that in America. He's about to do that in our lives. He's about to do that globally. And I thank him so much that he's allowing us to be a part of it. That's extraordinary. We thank him for that. Let's pray.